Big Rab Show podcast is kindly sponsored by G1 Reads. They are the champion's choice, with many bands around the world playing G1 products, including two-time world champions in Vararian District. So check out g1reads.com as they keep the lights on here on the Big Rab Show podcast. Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another Big Rab Show podcast. <laughs> How are you, folks? Hope you are all keeping well out there in podcast land, because, yes, you guessed it, another week has rolled round in the bagpiping world, and it's time for another Rab Show podcast. Yes, we know, it's the 21st of December. This is episode 310, and, yeah, we don't take any breaks around here. So, yes, we know, it's the holidays and all the rest this weekend, and... We'll get into that, but uh, yeah, you might have guessed by the title of this week's episode, we've got quite an awesome interview to bring you. Yeah, Uh, but before we get into all of that, I have to say, yeah, let's get into the introductions and stuff, I guess. So, yes, if this is your first ever Big Rab Show podcast, then where have you been? Uh, 310 episodes now. Uh, So, yeah, tons of uh, stuff there in the back catalogue for you to go and check out. But uh, either way, welcome. We are the Bagpiping Show. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as it's affectionately known as over there in Fuse. Yeah, we're the show for the bagpiping folk, reflecting everything in the bagpiping world, be it Celtic music, folk music, or our bread and butter, competitive piping and drumming. Each and every week, we are here talking about what we know and love to be the music of the Great Highland Bagpipe and its people. Yes, and like every other podcast under the sun, we do have a Patreon page. There's links in the show notes right now, actually. If you do want to go and click on support and get your hands on loads of extra content. And yeah, you'll be safe in the knowledge knowing that you're supporting one of your favourite wee podcasts over the holidays. There you are. Now, uh, speaking of Patreon, actually, I was doing a bit of digging on Patreon to get a bit of stats and figures and stuff. To see just how much extra stuff is there on there. And turns out there's quite a bit. Um, just looking at the audio releases that are Patreon exclusive, there's over 200 plus audio releases over there on Patreon. And yeah, this includes such things as episodes of Rab Show Plus, which are Patreon exclusive, but also you get exclusive interviews, uh, special pre release versions of the podcast as well, or up there on Patreon. You can maybe get those weeks in advance. And also, uh, you get our weekly Fuse FM Balamoney radio show. So if you do happen to miss our live show over there on Fuse FM and Balamoney, then yeah, you can catch up again on Patreon. So you can download an episode every week, which is two hours long, uh, includes all sorts of music and chat and banter and stuff. So it's, yeah. Tons of stuff over there on Patreon. And if anything, uh, yeah, if you go over to Patreon right now, you may well see our Fuse FM Balamoney radio shows going through the Christmas period, all the way through up until the 3rd of January. Uh, so, yeah, tons of great piping action to be had over the course of the holidays, and never been a better time to sign up to Patreon, actually, and you can get your mitts and all of that extra stuff. There you are. So, yeah, consider being part of the Patreon faithful and, uh, yeah, you get your mitts on loads of extra content. What? That much not to love. Loads of extra pipe and goodness. Alrighty. Okay, let's get into this week's episode then, shall we? Well, I have to give a mention following last week's episode, which was the 12 products of Christmas. Uh, We got a lot of great messages from folks who were really enjoying that episode, actually, and did actually take our advice and... uh, actually purchased a lot of stuff off our 12 products of Christmas list. (laughs) So thank you, everyone. Uh, So, yeah, there's been people pick up the Stephanie Burns book. There's been people pick up uh, bagpipe tuners and drum keys and that from the British Drum Co. A wealth of stuff. So, yeah, consider going back and listening to last week's episode, our 12 products of Christmas episode. It's always fun to do. Like, ourselves and the Rab Show team, we put together a big Christmas list uh, well, basically a wish list of what we would like to see under the tree. And, um, yeah, we give it out to you folks there to, yeah, to possibly get gifts for your piping uh, fan in your life, I guess. So there you are. Go and check out last week's episode if you haven't. It seems to have been quite a smash hit. So thank you to everyone who's emailed in and passed in all sorts of comments and stuff saying thanks. So, yeah, it's great to put that episode together every year. Indeed. Now, with each and every Rab Show podcast, we do normally open the doors to listener mail. Our listener mail, of course, is bigrabshow at gmail.com. That address again, bigrabshow at gmail.com. Yes, and unfortunately, we don't have any listener mail this week because it has been conspicuously quiet 
I guess, in the piping scene. As the holidays approach, I guess everyone is uh, now on a bit of a break, I guess. But not us here in the Rab Show. Oh, no, no, no. We don't take breaks around here. Uh, so, yeah, the piping world doesn't stop and neither do we. So, yeah, if you do have your own listener mail, of course, you can send it in to us. BigRabShow at gmail.com. Send us in your emails, indeed. <clears throat> now... There is no word of the week this week, unfortunately, and there is no weekly drone either. Yeah, so unfortunately, we're just going to whistle straight through to this week's topic. Yeah, there's no news or updates or anything this week because, as I say, we are now, well, full disclosure, ourselves on the Rab Show team are now taking a little bit of a break for the holidays. Yeah. Now, this interview that we have recorded with Mr. Tyler Fry has been pre-recorded, which was just last week, actually. Uh, We managed to catch up with Tyler. So, uh... Yeah, this is quite an interesting interview. We do get into the woods, and we'll talk more about the interview in a second or two. But, uh, yeah, just by way of full disclosure, Rab Show team are now on a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of a holiday, but we're not going to leave you without podcasts over the course of the holidays. So we have all sorts of great interviews planned over the next few shows uh, where we have... Yeah, we normally do this around the holidays. We bring in some of the biggest names in the piping game uh, to keep you folks well entertained over the course of the holidays with some real good podcasts, and then... We return again in the new year. Uh, yeah, all guns blazing, I guess, for 2023. So, yeah, we're about to kick things off with the first of our interview series, I guess, with Tyler Fry. So, before we get into it, then, I'm going to get myself a, a little, well, a wee cup of tea at this stage. So, I, I'll be back in a wee minute. Do you wish piping could be fun again? Bagpipers around the world continue to struggle with their instrument, despite hours of hard work trying to get better. Bagpiping should be fulfilling. Your hard work should pay off. Showing improvement and the freedom to express yourself musically. Or why do it? The Dojo University believe every piper should be able to free themselves from musical frustration. Proven over more than a decade of successful teaching and accessible anywhere with an internet connection, the dojo is unlike any other bagpipe learning experience in the world. Let the dojo channel your enthusiasm into a fun and fulfilling program that will empower you with the knowledge to fall in love with piping all over again. So go to dojouniversity.com forward slash big rab and take advantage of our 30-day free trial of Dojo Premium Membership. Join the global community of students today and rediscover the fun of bagpiping. Dojouniversity.com forward slash Big Rab for a 30-day free trial. Ah, yes, that was much needed at this stage uh, because it's absolutely freezing here in Northern Ireland at the moment. I don't know what it's like where you guys are uh, listening right now, but seriously cold. And uh, yeah, that walk between my house and my garage, uh, absolutely freezing. And I have to, yeah, again, give you a visual on the podcast here, but I'm sitting here with a hoodie on, a coat on, and a pair of gloves and everything, a hat on, it's freezing out here in the garage. So, yeah, I'm going to get this introduction to the topic done very quickly. <laughs> but that cup of tea did help, mind you. There you go. All right, now, I have to again, again say a huge thank you to uh, Tyler Fry for taking time to chat with us here. He's an incredibly busy fella who's very hard to pin down sometimes to get interviews on the show. We've been trying to get Tyler on the show now for a while. I think the last Tyler was on was over the course of the Worlds. Uh, we caught up with them at the British Drumco tent. Uh, but then before that, he was part of our beer tent event as well. Do you remember those all the way back then? <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that was a while ago. But, yes, we're about to get into this week's topic. Now, let's talk about the interview, first of all. Now, again, by full disclosure, uh, Tyler did say to me at the very beginning, before we even switched the mics on, he said, Rab, don't be afraid to ask me any big, hard-hitting, controversial questions. I don't mind answering them at all. Just go for it, man. Uh, so, I did in this one. And I did ask some controversial questions that... um. I did have to think twice about whether I should bring it to the podcast or not, but this was just a conversation. We were spitballing ideas on some of these controversial topics, and it does make for some very interesting listening, I guess. So, yeah, I guess, without any further ado, let's welcome Tyler to the podcast then, shall we? 
So welcome to the podcast. The title of this week's episode gives it away, doesn't it? Tyler Fry. How are you, Tyler? Are you well? I'm doing very well, Rob. Thank you for thank you for asking me and thanks for having me on the show today. Not at all. You're an incredibly busy fella. See, to try and get you pinned down for an episode, mate, it's impossible. <laughs> like, where where are you right now? I don't, I'm not proud of being busy. Um, you know, my idea <laughs> of a good life is not being busy, sitting on a beach, <laughs> chilling out somewhere. But I'm actually in San Francisco right now. Uh, I had a chance to meet two guys from the uh, Santiago Metropolitan Pipe Band from Chile. Um, one who has just graduated from school here. The other came up to kind of. Uh, so Ignacio Solas and Thomas Guzman have been kind of showing me around the town uh, of San Francisco. Been here, I don't know how many times, Rob, but I've mm. never actually really properly hung out. So we got to Alcatraz yesterday. You know, uh, you know the deal. Like, how many cities have you been through, uh, you know, been to with pipe bands? But how many have you really, truly seen? Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, like, I, it, I, it's great to be, have been to Stormont, but, you know, have yeah. I really been to Stormont? You know, if, if, if you, you understand go. what's going with that. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, that's very true. You know, a lot of people complain about that. You know, when they go to the World Championships and then, there's, well, how how was Glasgow? Was, I don't know. I seen Glasgow Green, and that was about it, really. I can only imagine how the spouses feel then. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. For holidays for the year, yeah, just to yeah. Sit on a, uh, that, that's that's one thing for for this year in 2022. Ourselves and Rabshu, we were out there in San Francisco at, at Monterey. I heard you were down here for the Monterey Games. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And a lot of people were asking, oh, did you see the Golden Gate Bridge? Did not, did... No, we didn't. No, of course not. We've seen I, the airport. I can show you right now, the Golden Gate's over there. All right, the behind you, there, yeah. But if you can't tell, there's a few obstacles uh, to review them. But there you go, yeah. Closer than you've ever been. Anyway. So that, well, there you go, exactly. Yeah, so maybe that's something for our audience to consider. Yeah, if you are doing some travel plans for this incoming season, maybe book in some extra time to have a look around. As well yep. as catch the piping, yeah. Get, get the extra days. It could be, yeah. It's it's well worth it. The older I'm getting, the and I'm only 41. The more I'm starting to appreciate, yeah, the, the, those little things beyond pipe bands, which I'm absolutely sure as well. It's your interview. Do your thing. <laughs> oh no, no, 100. I completely agree with you. Yeah, but I've got a ton of actual proper interviewee questions for you here. Believe it or not, um, so. I have to say, whenever people think of the world of tenor drumming, your name is top of the pile. I think you were kind of revolutionary in the world of tenor drumming around the early 90s. Um, Whenever I was involved in piping and drumming in grade two, grade one, you were always kind of the name of the guy everyone had to watch for tenor drumming from that regard. So can you tell me, first of all, how did you get your start, Tyler? How, How did you get a pair of sticks in your hand? That, that's a, a loaded question, but I'll try to summarize it as quickly as I can. I'm from okay. a town called Cardin, Ontario. So by the name, uh, it's Scottish settled community. Uh, we have one of the oldest pipe bands possibly in the world, going back to 1909. And I believe that's even older than Shots and Dykehead or around the same time that Shots and Dykehead, for example. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be the, you know, uh, governed police, you know, going back to the late 1800s, but a mm-hmm. uh, very old band filled with a ton of Scottish migrants that really it was just a club for them to come back together on the other side of the world. Um, yeah. Just to gather and, up and, again. And yeah. yeah, exactly what we, you, you and I have done in our bands, but, but mm-hmm. imagine the movement once he came over, that, that was pretty much you staying in on the other side of the ocean, probably yeah. forever. So um, Scottish settled community. Uh, we've had a pipe band that marches up and down the main street of the city of the town, I'm sorry, every Saturday night in the summer um, and thousands of tourists flock behind the band. So as a kid, my parents would just bring me out to the mm. parade. And then it got to the point whether my parents wanted to or not, I knew it was Saturday night. I could smell, you know, my, my neighbor's grandpa, who was from the town of Shots, actually, he'd light mm. up like a, a, a um, you know, like, like we'll call it an old man pipe, just to avoid any confusion with your with your listeners. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you, you know that distinctive smell. I could yes. smell it across the street, and that's how I knew the parade was about to start. And uh, I dragged my parents to the parade, where I was uh, mesmerized by the guys with the quote unquote round and rounds. Uh, yes, which is mm-hmm. what I referred to them back mm-hmm. in the back in the early eighties. And back there then, those rounding rounds had the, the wee tassels on the end, if you remember. Very distinctive, yeah. Uh-huh. So in mm-hmm. Canada, they were still being seen and not heard. So they were actually brushing the drum with those tassels while they were flourishing, because don't you dare make a noise. No. 
right? <laughs> we'll ruin a good band, right? Right, right Rob? <laughs> anyway, so longer story, yeah. back then, the bass drummer flourished as well. And I got, so I was exposed to it young. And then by the time I was four, uh, I was given a set of real tenor beaters uh, as a gift from my grandpa. But prior to that, I had my toy drumsticks with a wee string on the end, with like a pom-pom from, you know, the top of a Canadian toque in the winter. That's oh, right. Yeah, yeah. My mm-hmm. grandma had tied strings with pom-poms so that I could flail them around. And the band would actually invite me in to perform with them at the park. Wow, uh, at such a young ball. age. Yeah. yeah. So they, they treated me like one of them. And um, sure enough, when I was 11, I went for formal lessons, showed up yeah. saying I want to be a tenor drummer. Mm-hmm. They said why would you want to be a tenor drummer? Nobody wants to be a tenor drummer. You'll learn, you'll learn snare. And no way. <laughs> the rest is kind of history from there. But uh, I ended up being a, a closet case tenor drummer while I was learning snare drumming for many, many years. Um, until I, even when I was playing with Milton Optimist after mm. my first band, the King Card and Scottish. So we had a juvenile band in Ontario called Milton Optimist. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of players, it, it, they're all playing in top grade one bands if they're still playing or did play in top grade one bands, everyone that was in that band. Mm. Uh, but even Gail Brown, she didn't want a tenor drummer in her band. She just didn't <laughs> see the need for a tenor drummer. And um, I wasn't quite ready to play the medley section uh, in the snare line yeah. uh, in 1995. And Craig Cahoon, you know, father of Hospital, uh, mm-hmm. one of my inspirations and teachers growing up, Legend. Uh, he convinced Gail somehow to let me go out there and tenor drum instead of snare drum. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was sort of my first time performing. And I started doing solos at that time. There you go. Yeah. 78 year after invited me in. So can can I kind of stop there? Is that a good sort of summary? That, that's a good way to into your career in grade one then, I guess. Yeah, because sure. I think yeah. that's really where I sort of caught up with you, really, is that jump from you were doing the solo scene and then from there into grade one. And yeah. you did mention the sticks with like the tassels on them and stuff. And then yeah. that was so unique. Oh, it, of course it, it, it did. longer abroad than it did in Northern Ireland and Scotland. Yeah. But yeah. By about an extra decade or two. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. I'm showing me age here now at this point, possibly. But I do remember <laughs> the first time seeing it in person. Uh, there was a huge crowd around you and everyone was like, oh, you have to come and see these tenors, man. They're amazing. Like what? And then whenever we went over, we were just mesmerized. We didn't what was going on? Because yeah, he's, he's sure twirling those things around, but we don't know what he can actually do on the drum. But boy, <laughs> boy is he, boy, is he but, going crazy in the air? That's <laughs> it. But it was so visual, and it's something that didn't happen at that time. You know, eighties and nineties, it was all very regimental, and tenors never really stood yeah, out. Yeah, you all. didn't flourish. Um, yeah, that really started in the seventies. It, overseas mm. so meaning uh scotland and northern ireland etc yeah yeah that was like they, they started all of a sudden it was okay to start kind of hitting a tenor drum you know yeah. and i think it's uh, wilson young's intercontinental march uh in the early 70s there you, you know, go the rolls and uh, I, I know one I, little role and that was the whole thing exactly that or, was... <laughs> or just, and then and then ball call you know starting just playing the ending phrases you know so mm-hmm. like bar seven and eight of a march and then trying it with <laughs> two different pitches and then three it, i mean you can just show the whole evolution but yeah. don't you dare twirl that stick around the no, only no. time you throw the stick around <laughs> were the march offs or you know they, they showcase their skills including the bass drummers during the march offs mm-hmm. but never in the competition circle right it just oh, was, gonna, gonna was of no yeah. value that was really yeah. frowned upon at the time and honestly whenever you folks brought that into the circle it was seen as groundbreaking at the time and everyone was like wow this is incredible and then everyone sort of started to try and do their own version of it, I guess. And it really started to literally grow up, grow arms and legs. So did you find that at the time back then? Yeah, well, I wasn't thinking, you know, when you're 13 or 14, uh, you don't have the same sort of mental obstacles that you might as an adult. Yeah, uh, I can, you know, I can relate to that in other areas of my life. But I just did what made sense to me. So I started off with being told you need to, you're to be seen and not heard. So we'll have two rhythm tenors. And you can stand in the middle as a flourishing tenor drummer, but don't hit the drum. Yes. Um, and then a year later, so that was in 95, 96. By 97 in the 78th, all, uh, we had a rhythm tenor, Ivan, in the middle, who didn't flourish at all. But we mm-hmm. had Reagan and I, who actually grew up as next door neighbors and started drumming together. She's now the yeah. bass drummer for Peel Regional Police. Um, we were, you know, we, we thought, well, this is stupid. Let's start combining all these cool visual ideas that sort of remained alive and well in mm-hmm. the 
colony of Canada. I don't mean that literally, but um, in the isolated pocket of where, you know, all these Scottish migrants that came over brought all these visual ideas and they just yeah. remained like a time capsule. They didn't, these guys didn't change. There was no YouTube. There was no, we couldn't even play a bloody VHS tape from the UK in North America. <laughs> you guys had PAL. We had NTSC. Yeah. You could play your NTSC, but we couldn't play your PAL. My point is there was no communication. We were in an isolated little bubble. Yeah. Which meant the stayed alive and all of the flourish moves stayed alive mm. as well. And that the same applies to Australia and New Zealand. That's so true. Yeah. We were you know, really, I was just combining my, doing my thing with all these different influences. And then, with those very, very rare videos of the Vale of Athol, who had a great flourishing tenor section. They with did. Ha- uh, Ian Sinclair. Mm-hmm. I had one video from Maxville in 1988 in NTSC. And boy, did I, 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 I probably could still, I memorized. I just imitated, imitated and imitated. Yeah. Uh, and as I was going over 96, 97, I'd ask little questions about what they were doing um, way later. <laughs> um, <laughs> it explained. Uh, so long and the short is, um, yeah, we were just kind of doing what we thought was what made sense visually and rhythmically. Yeah, and I don't think we even thought of it, any of it as being, you know, ridiculously groundbreaking. Uh, sure, we were playing some of the first hospital drums. Sure, we were using like little foam pieces, you know, around the head. Oh yeah, I remember those? Yeah, the you know the the head to cover the bearing. <laughs> edge. Uh, we were doing yeah. all kinds of things that we knew no one else was really doing sound wise. Yeah, uh, and I would argue. You know, there's a lot of things I do differently in hindsight, visually, mm-hmm. and rhythmically, and sonically. Um, but we're, we're it was the perfect environment to try new things. Bill Livingston, to his credit, Michael, Michael Hunter, uh, even Har- I played a year under Harvey Dawson. At least they were open minded enough to try anything. So I was very lucky to have a, such a forward thinking environment to start. Yeah. But otherwise, none of I probably would have been just told to, I, you know, just, just don't touch that drum, Tyler. Yeah, yeah, don't get don't get in the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, visually too or rhythmically, just. That's it. So yeah. that that led me into my next question. Then, obviously, with with working with pipe majors and lead tippers over your career, they've had to have let you had that free reign, I guess, to be creative. Yeah, and I've never pretended that you know I'm a quote unquote lead tenor drummer. Or mm. listen, it in in the seventy eighth, it was Michael Hunter's drum corps. Yeah, and we had a very strong relationship in the snare line with Craig Cahoon and myself. And and by the Reagan, she gosh, she has a jazz degree, you know, jazz musician. She also had lots of ideas that she, where I'm going with this is, you know, never once did we try to create, and I, I think there's a lot of articles that kind of talk about how we were trying to be separate from the snare line. Blah, blah. No, we were an integrated drum corps. We just had a, a common vision of what we were trying to accomplish. Yes. So in the 78, that was with, you know, for the most of the time, Michael Hunter, Craig Cahoon and myself. And then in shots, mm-hmm. obviously... Shots was the right fit, but I can tell you, we, I, I showed up to shots playing the way shots played at the time. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, shut up, did what I was told. And then, you know, like, like any new company or anything, slowly you can start opening your mouth. At, yeah. Here and there. And <laughs> just much, right? little ideas here and there. Yeah. 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 And, and that's the way that whole thing evolved too. And then when Scott Curry came back from Strathclyde police in 2005, mm-hmm. that's when, Obviously, Scott had been playing with Jim for well over a decade. Oh, God, even longer than a that. Long right? time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Late 80s. Mm-hmm. That relationship was there. So Scott and I had a shared vision of how to bring where things were with what we were doing in the 78th. Yeah. And put it within Jim's vision of the, you know, the next era, if you will, of the Shots Drum Corps That's around it. 2004, 2005. The next generation. Yeah, I remember talking about that on the radio too, about this new generation of gym drum corps. And there were yeah. massive fans of that, myself included, by the way. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to wind it back again another few years. Um, again, talking about rhythmical influences, because I played in grade two, grade one, and we did have two flourishing tenors and one who beat we were okay. one of those bands. Okay. And all it right. was all, yeah, it was always a little weird to try and find out the balance between the visual and the beating bit. We, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, mm-hmm. do you only just flourish during the double 40? And, you know, that's like, what the would have said. Yeah, only flourish. Hey, I would have lost a tenor solo in Canada if I flourished at all during the piano section. Yeah, I, during single flourish. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah. That's it, game over. So I just don't know where that came from. You know, was that you know an instruction somewhere you received, or was that just I don't know? There's a lot of things, just like being you know, yeah, being seen and not heard, only flourishing mm-hmm. on the 
repeated section of each part of the double forte. Yeah. Um, playing there's a, there's also a theory of always playing within a box that exists right here. That was a theory. You know, oh. you never leave the box. So that arm at 90 degrees, you know, you never like straight in front of you. You mean, yeah. That, mm-hmm. You never lifted the elbow out. Um, there's right. all kinds of rules and they were, I think the, for the most part, they came from the British army. Okay. Oh, and, I see. Right. And no one really questioned them. You know, they just said, mm. oh, okay. Real, oh, okay. All right. I, but, and I don't mean that I, that's not a statement against anyone, but my no, point right. was mm-hmm. your band told you there were rules. So you played in the box, you, you know, you only went up to a certain height. Uh, you only hit, hit if you were allowed to hit. Otherwise mm-hmm. you're just pushing the drum. Yeah. British army is really where, it, it all came from and then mm. it just lasted longer in some of these pockets elsewhere in the world whilst you guys were starting to you know experiment with more rhythmic ideas mm-hmm. a, a lot of us were kind of a decade behind on that front mm. um arguably um arguably yeah <laughs> stuff was still alive and well that had been long forgotten in yeah the, in the uk and in ireland that's it. So you know, it's such a fascinating topic, and it's one of which that we've been trying to talk about on the podcast. Now we've been trying to get a proper tenor drumming episode put together, but what we're finding is that the tenor drumming world is so diverse, so many different methods of doing it and ways of doing it, and no one way is the right way. They're just different. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I agree. And by the way, I'm not. I'm not, I'm, for the record, I'm not calling myself Alec Duthard or equating myself to Alec Duthard. No, right? no, no. <laughs> I, and I, I, I promise. What, but what I will say is that, you know, after speaking to Bert Barr, who was like a second grandfather to me in the UK for a long time, or uh, Drew, I don't know whether the plan was, I don't think Alec had this grand vision where everyone was more or less going to play, uh, you know, different, lang- like a language, like different branches mm. coming off of, of off of him one way or another. Yeah, um, yeah. And by the way, that's not to insult anyone who chose not to. Like John Kerr in North America had his own thing. And they were both lead drummers of shots. John Absolutely. just went over to Canada, I think around 52, 53. Mm. Alec became lead drummer in 57 of shots. Yeah. Those I think it was late, late 50s, early 60s, something like that. Yeah, it was yeah. definitely in the late 50s. Was it 59? Anyways, I, think, 59, I don't know. I um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not pretending to be the, I'll get my encyclopedia out later, you know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I I really do enjoy te- watching and listening to tenor drumming nowadays because, mm. in my opinion, there are it, there are so many different variations of what you're what you're hearing and what you're seeing. And for me, that's whether you want. I've, I've been I've been criticized by pipers for calling it art. I'm sorry, it's it's art. Every core seems to have their own idea. Every time I watch, absolutely, people, yeah, they have their own thing going on. And mm-hmm. yes, a lot of are, are some of them things that I came up with or fused together. Yes, but have they found other cooler ways of using some of those ideas that I never even freaking thought of? Yes. And do you know how much <laughs> that excites me? Huge. <laughs> when I see yeah. something that I've never ever even tried before being done visually or rhythmically, yes, mm. I get excited by that. So I, I don't think we are bound by the same rules that perhaps uh, snare drumming or certain, more certain, certainly piping is. No, um, I, I enjoy it. Um, and it, it, yeah, it, but it, it does pose a problem maybe when you're trying to bring people together. Cause that's it. Maybe, yeah. Technology is different, you know, that's it. there's uh, so many different ways and approaches and that's what I find the magic is of this. Honestly, you know, there, there, there isn't a proper textbook that says, right, if you do ABC, you will be successful as you find in the bagpiping world and the tenor drumming world. However, it is so creative and so open to interpretation uh, yeah, if one thing I wanted to ask you about is a common question we've been getting here in Rab Show actually is the size of tenor cores seems to be increasing. And I think even we were, we chatted about it on Rab Show as it happened was the Spirit of Scotland pipe band and you guys had a, a big range of tenors there. Well, what was the thinking behind that at the time? No, and, and it's a valid, that's a really good question. Um, to, to be fair, I'm starting to see them taper off or get a little bit smaller right now. And a lot of they are yeah, mm-hmm. coming back out of COVID. And I'm sure pipe cores are going to say the same thing and snare lines potentially as well. Yeah. It's only the, the yeah. few globally that seem to have the same numbers. That's, That's the it. Common one. But number two, or t- number number two. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the spirit year, it was exciting for us because we could actually encompass every note on the chanter. Now, a lot of bagpipers listening will say, you don't need to do that. 
um, you know, that that's our job as pipers to play pitch and melody. Okay. But think of it harmonically though. Okay. So we had everything mm -hmm. from a low A bass drum all the way up to a high B tenor drum. Yeah. Every, every note. And, and I, I say high B because we had an extra 14 inch drum that could pull it off with pretty decent sustain. And if I recall, Nicola Purvis, uh, played that high drum and she got a great sound out of that high b so mm -hmm. we had a low b and a high b well whatever okay so where am i going with all this yep as the chord structure of a tune changes mm -hmm. so so are the potential notes you use so let's use a very simple one and i'm gonna i could go into a million different tunes let's just use balmoral highlanders okay let's say that we have some really exciting uh rhythmic bit that we want to play in bars one and two well, mm -hmm. any piper listening right now would say, yeah, they'll, they'll go through the notes. Yeah, it's, it's an A, we'll call it a, an A chord. Yeah, it, key uh, of A. Mm -hmm. Yeah, consisted of A, C, and E. Mm -hmm. So in the in our core, we have a bass drum on A, we yeah. have a tenor drum on C, or C sharp, and E, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and a high A. So what? think about it from just purely like a lead drummer standpoint. Mm -hmm. You've got three drums, or four if you count the bass drum, that you can have either an ascending or descending line going on that's going to either that that's going to harmonize with the phrase going on in the melody so coloristically yeah you can have yeah. a pattern like going on a drum set do you want to go down it or do you want to go up it mm -hmm. or go you know variably all around it <laughs> you either way it'll right click in drum. yeah, yeah mm -hmm. to, to, so you, you've got high medium low for lack of a better word like we did in the 80s and 90s mm -hmm. and you've got the right drums harmonically for the chord structure of the tune so bars three and four are based are, are based off of G, so G, B, and D. So, mm -hmm. in the context of the Spirit of Scotland year, we didn't play Balmoral Highlanders. By the way, this is just no, you didn't. No. <laughs> we didn't have a low G bass drum. Which, by the way, I would love to go back to the second bass drum thing again. Separate conversation. But we we at least have a B, uh, D, high G, and a high B. So we actually have four different drums that we could use in that chord. So we could have high, 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 medium, low <laughs> in yeah. the, in that section based on the drum we had. So it just yeah. provided more harmonic capabilities to answer your question. Um, so I, I, I got excited by it because we had players that could really, really play well, that could flourish well. And we had enough drummers that could, we could actually accomplish everything we could ever dream for harmonically to help enhance the, 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 the bagpipe and the snare line in terms of what Jim heard in terms of high mediums and lows or, or, or yeah. what have you. So it was really neat using the right drums, the right place to hopefully enhance melody and snare drumming for me. Just Absolutely. Yeah. I have to say, I was actually listening to you folks as the, the you know the Spirit of Scotland band, and you guys were were practicing. It was the Highland Wind, and I think it was part of part of your MSR at that time. And uh, you could tell it was that tune because of the chord sequence that the tenors was playing. You know, it was so weird. Like and we I hadn't heard I, that. Well, thank you. I, 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 that's a compliment, by the way. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it was so different. I, I, yeah, I appreciate that. And there were some places, even in the Spirit Year, where I said, "Screw this whole excuse my language. Screw this whole harmonic thing." Let's just go all like uh, hmm. one E, a two E, a one E, a two, and all right. so, yeah, that's the tune. So what I did was I was like, you know what, this whole harmonic thing, I yeah, I, we've done it for a decade. I literally went through the entire the entire. So it started off with one big bass drum beat on one, and it just went all the way up all all eight tenor drums <laughs> just because we could. Yeah. It was coloristic. It made no harmonic sense, but I thought, man, nah, I'd probably want to do this so literally going up the drum set on that one <laughs> yeah and it was literally, fun literally like that. Yep. yeah and yep. um but I, I played the high g tenor drum so any pipers listening right now um mm. to answer your question on what a high g or even a low g tenor drum might do in highland wedding um i can think of bar four on part one and bar four of part six i'm trying to think now oh you're wrecking my head now <laughs> tell me if i mean jump into the chat if there is one i can't think of many other places where the g really works well i don't think no that's it, it. yeah the ending phrase of bars uh of parts five and six i think some during with one of the variations of the uh, tune uh, i think that g work drum works but only on bars yeah. five and on bar seven i know I, th I think everyone listening right now is humming highland wedding to try and figure that out I know. yeah there you go but it, it's so <laughs> where the g drum works because there you it's go tough. i had two notes <laughs> Two notes. <laughs> two for the whole, the whole, uh, there you go. Six part march, two notes. Class. Yep. It's like the triangle part. You know, it, it, when I, when I hit them, it counted. Ding. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. 
The British Drum Company is driven by their passion to create the finest marching drums for those who recognise and value the highest of standards. The Axial Series is the British Drum Company's flagship pipe band range. Axial's distinctive aesthetic owes much to its X-frame cage system. This futuristic hardware is designed to complement all of the amazing shell finishes on offer, such as the Phantom, Smoked Walnuts and the very popular Merlin finishes, of which there are three new additions for 2022, Platinum, Violet and Emerald. The bass and tenors now come with Georgian oak hoops which feature their head stress management system and wide mass claws for all round better tension across the heads. The British Drum Company's Axial Series is innovation defined, designed and engineered for you to look amazing, sound amazing and feel amazing. McLennan Bagpipes by North Carolina artisan instrument maker Roddy McLennan from Euston, Scotland. Proud supplier of bagpipes, small pipes and chanters to Ali the Piper. One-of-a-kind instruments crafted from the finest materials using traditional skills for more than 30 years. Attention to detail and dedication to the highest standards of quality guarantee you a bagpipe which is more than just a musical instrument but also a work of art. Custom made for you in a variety of wood with the widest range of profiles in the industry. Repair, restoration, replacement, refurbishment services also available. Check out bespokebagpipes.com for more information. McLennan Bagpipes. Born in Scotland, made in the USA. Wallace Bagpipes. Quality, pride and passion. Made in Scotland. Proud bagpipe supplier to the Red Hot Chili Pipers. Visit wallacebagpipes.com for more information or contact your nearest dealer. Hello. This is Fred Morrison, and you're listening to The Big Rab Show. But uh, yeah, it's an award now. We've had on the Rab Show Awards, we've had Best Flourishing. And we think we've had it deliberately in there for a reason, because we do think that each year the flourishing is getting better. And as you say, each, va- each band have their own visual presentation that you can tell from a distance. Oh, that's St. Lawrence. Oh. There's Inverary over there. Yep. That's the FM. You can tell that because so, that's something that you can do as well, Tyler, just by seeing a distance. Yeah, just watching a core in the distance, I can tell you with 95% certainty who the core is and at the grade one level and possibly grade two. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. We're at that point now where there's enough unique styles going on. I, I kind of, yeah, I got, I got the gist of it now. Absolutely. Yeah, I, so, I yeah, I'm glad I'm not just as I'm not the only nerdy one that picks that kind of stuff out. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, I think tenor drumming is as unique as a fingerprint for some pipe bands and sometimes kind of goes under appreciative, uh, appreciated by pipe majors and lead tippers as well. Is there anything then for any PM or lead tipper listening right now who want to develop their tenor core? And is there any direction that they could go for help or anything like that? You know? Oh, there's tons of stuff online now, which which is great. And I, I'll be putting more stuff online. I've had stuff ready to go for a decade. It's just, mm. but here, here's where, where, where I'm going. I, I I just think that the, the, the basin tenor section can do so much in terms of sort of um, help. Let's just call it a little bit of extra gel or glue that can make make the two sections really come to life together. Yeah. All right. So uh, to, to answer your question, I think for, for pipe majors, it's really focused on making sure that even if you only have one tenor drummer and let's hi- hypothetically, you're probably going to tune it to high A. Because probably up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Went with the drones or maybe it'll be on E. So it always harmonizes with the bass drum. The bass drum. Yeah. Yeah. Just but making sure that I don't care whether you have one tenor drum or two tenor drums, just making sure that, the tone's right, and then the sound's right, and that it's harmonizing with something. So if it's not harmonizing with the chord structure of the tune, it's harmonizing with the drones at least. So that's a really yeah. easy thing. Robert Matheson jumped right in on that in Shots. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his number one thing that he loved as pipe major, was making sure those drums were, were tuned well uh, with him yeah. and the rest of the band, uh, ho- ho- hopefully with the rest of the band if we, you know, if, we, if we did a good job of that. 
And then mm-hmm. Jim was just, so now let's look at it from a lead drummer standpoint, making sure that when you do have the tenor drummers, that they're, they're locked in with you the exact same way for, for so in this, this will, what I'm going to say is probably going to help um, some judges out there, uh, you know, or reaffirm what they're, they're probably already saying or thinking mm-hmm. that their touch. So let's just look at it this way, their expression, their phrasing, their dynamics, and let's just look at the overall composition. All makes sense with what's going on in that snare line. And so if the, if, if Jim Kilpatrick's playing a quiet note, you sure as heck better believe I was playing a quiet note. If Jim Kilpatrick, uh, in terms of the expression, was stretching something a little bit more in that one bar, we needed mm-hmm. to do that as well. Um, Phrasing-wise, you know, if Jim's thinking in two two-bar phrases with, with the pipe major – we need to be thinking in two bar phrases as well. I can keep going through the whole thing, but my, my point is look at your tenor section as an extension, whether it's one bass, one tenor, or just a bass drum as an extension of both of your uh, yeah. respective chords and, and do the best you can so that it's, it's, it's working with you in terms of sound expression, phrasing uh, composition. I can keep going through all there those every day, but no, that's great advice though. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. Trying to make it as easy as possible for, 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 yeah, but there's lots of tools out there. Um, you're, you're free to email me anytime, but I know there's plenty of people you can call or walk up to locally as well nowadays, which is awesome. Absolutely. So. Yeah, that's it. And even if, if you want to reach out to ourselves and Rab Show, we can put you in contact with some good folks who could definitely help for sure. Definitely. Yeah. But tone is king. Absolutely. When it comes to piping, but also for drumming as well. So Tyler, I'm glad you mentioned that. You might think I'm a professional radio guy, but uh, I want to talk about the British Drum Company and sure. these axial drums. Now, we've had a good opportunity now this season to see them with drum corps in action. And, yep. mate, they're, they're outstanding. I, I haven't seen a tenor core or bass core with sound that carries like these axial drums. So is that kind of your doing? Have you been involved in the design of these? I- I'm involved in the company, but same thing. I am not going to take credit where credit's due. Mm. Keith Gia, the CEO, he's probably one of the top master craftsmen for drums, I would argue, in the the entire world. He's the CEO, and he's the same guy in the factory. So when the rest of the guys are leaving at 5 p.m. or 6, he's sometimes sitting in that factory with previously having done all the the, the labor, the work with these guys, sitting in in, in the factory until 4 4 a.m no one uh, keith's done some of the top kits for the guys you hear on the radio every day okay that's right yeah that's keith's reputation and and he's been busy training so many p- people in that factory on how to do things the way he knows how to do them and there's mm. so many so many intricacies to so to, to the manufacturing process to the as a master craftsman that he's He's, he's, he's like, he's literally a full-time teacher in that factory. Okay. Yeah. So here, where I'm going with that is this, the, the sound. Okay. So going back to your sound uh, comment on the bass and tenors, when mm-hmm. you have drums, with really, really freaking good shells, like insanely good shells with really crazy good bearing edges, meaning they're consistent all the way around where the head goes on. Mm. Uh, and you've minimized the, you know, as much uh, hardware on that shell as possible. It's inevitable that, it's going to be almost effortless to get a good sound out of that drum. Yeah. Um, and, and it's no different on the drum kits, but I, I, I think I find the axle snare drum ridiculous. And, and this for me, you, you know, a tenor drummer, but <laughs> I, I, I'm a drummer and I find them, them ridiculously easy to tune, to get a nice, bright, crisp, all the engineering behind all the drums is just so um, out of this world that it was, it, it, it made, I, that's not because of me that literally that's, that's because the companies surround themselves with the smartest people. Now, where I come in is telling them something works or it doesn't, or yeah. uh, if their version of something that they thought was a phenomenal idea uh, wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily. But I would never step on the toes of those people. These guys know drum; they they know more about drums than 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 probably anyone. Just the the, the, yeah. the team they have in that factory—they're unbelievable. I hope if anyone listening has a chance to go uh, down to that factory in Stockport. That you oh, do. what an experience so yeah. you've done it if i recall we have we've been there and that's something i'll never forget because i honestly thought that well i know we're singing the praises of bdc now and everyone's thinking this is a huge plug and it probably is um but my my experience of it was as i thought 
you put wood in at one end of a machine that comes out as a shell at the other. A guy glues it together, sprays it a color, and that's it done. But it's yeah. completely the opposite of that. It's so hands-on. Like There's no machines that make these. And then it's, when you're in the factory, you're, you're talking to the guy doing it. Yeah. He's smiling, laughing, having fun. Haven't you tried doing it with them? You know? Like yeah. It, it just makes it look so easy. At home if you had the, all the It's the amazing. <laughs> like I, I asked yep. them, so what sort of tools do you use? Oh, I use a ruler and a Stanley knife. Yep. That's spot on. That's it. That's literally that, it. That's it. That's the whole yep. thing. It's, it's, it's amazing. So, yeah. Yep. Shout out to British Drum Company. Uh, so, yeah, the, the stand at this year's World Championships uh, was a testament, I think, of the amount of different finishes and things they can do on these drums. They were amazing. Yeah, I didn't even know they could do half that. You saw the rainbow ones. That, oh, those they were, were smashing. I love those. I, I, yeah, I, just, <laughs> I, I had to buy them. And, and, and they're, they're all sold. They, they sold like that, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah, those were fun. Now, I need to get them to make me a new a new one now, I think. But, uh, oh, yeah. No, no, but, yeah, some of those finishes are, are, are out of this world. Um, I've never seen a drum company. And they're all done right in-house, right here in Britain, or, or, or there in Britain. That's uh, it. Yeah. And, yeah, if you have an idea, they, they can probably run with it. Uh, and with that's, relative, that's yeah. it too. And Stu has been saying that. He, he, I don't know if he's challenging me this last while, but he's been saying, he says, Rob, if you can think of a finish, then let us know and we'll have a go at it. You know, just challenge us. You throw something yep. at us, he says. And they get excited by that. Uh, yeah. And Fries, uh, Whitley, who, who works in the in the spray booth, or mm. we'll call it the booth. He's There's a legend. More excited by, he's a hilarious guy. And you yeah. give him give him a challenge and 95% of the time it comes out better yeah. than what you imagined it to be. Um, no, yeah. it, it was so funny. I'm a little behind the scenes here. As we were there at the factory, he was like uh, doing like a sparkle fleck finish on a drum <laughs> as we were there. And we went to visit him and uh-huh. Stu was says, right. Like- the, this is the spray chamber. And he was in and he opened the door and he just looked like <laughs> he had glitter from head to foot. And he looked like Santa Claus. He was all covered That's in glitter. That- it was that's, amazing. Yeah, that's why he goes home every yeah. every every day. Not stopping by the pub on the way home. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, he says he's finding glitter in his beard for weeks to come after doing a drum yep. like that. So uh, it's fantastic stuff. So yeah, as well as the British Drum Company, then Tyler, you also had your own line of mallets and everything as well on your own website. Do you want to tell us about the development of these? Because these was kind of an early on thing in your career, I guess. Yeah, it it was it was never. You know, my, my parents always wanted to be go, you know, work for someone, blah, blah, blah. Mm. I remember even applying to McDonald's in the early days, not getting accepted. You know, I'm talking when I'm like early, early, early teens here. Yeah. But um, I had to do a sewing project for what's called home economics in Canada. So you mm-hmm. do like half a year in home economics, the other year in shop class in eighth grade. But right. no guy, you know, when they're 13 years old, wants to learn how to use a sewing machine or, you know, sew or you get the idea. Sorry, I, by <laughs> yeah. the way, there, there are plenty of guys that, that do. My point is, that was not my thing. Yeah. Um, and so I, my project was literally a set of tenor beaters. And I, I remember just finding a dowel rod from the hardware store, mm-hmm. uh, a ball of tape with hockey tape, you know, because I'm Canadian. Hockey tape that you put on your yeah. hockey stick, <laughs> creating a ball on the end. <laughs> put a little bit of foam on it and then I, my sewing aspect was sewing you know the the furry cover on top the little yeah the join yeah. section yeah there you go yeah. oh and i glued a little bead on the end from the craft store as well so there you go there was my there was my sewing project i got an a there um, you go so that was your I first thought, prototype then really that was my first prototype. yeah <laughs> um, so that was in the early 90s but but really um when i started playing the 78th the, when we started really focusing on sound mm. um I, I just personally wasn't happy with any of what i could I had a different vision for the sound and a lot of it came from the M and G bass stick, which was invented in Ontario. Yes. Yeah. It had this sound, this, uh, it just created this really rounded attack, mm. um, which I really, really liked. So the original, so by 97, I was hand doing them for us in the 78th word mm. of mouth. And then slowly started having to hand do every single pair for other bands around the world. Uh, including yeah. at that time, like Vic Police, I can remember handmaking all those for them. I remember uh, them, yeah. Mm-hmm. David Urquhart Travel, I remember Jackie Holden being mm-hmm. one of the first. Uh, Joe Noble was the first guy to bring them into the into the band room in in the nineties or the late nineties. Yeah. Um, so I and then slowly started evolving. So by the year I was in university uh, in the year two thousand, 
Uh, I finally, I took, I saved everything I had and bought a really ridiculously expensive mold, which could, could do it all in one piece. Right. And that was revolutionary because no one had ever, you know, had the, the, the ball of the head and the, the, you know, the, 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 we'll call it the, the, there's no polite way to say this, the ball, the shaft and the, the, the beat beater. on the end. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the beater. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Yeah. Open a can of worms already there, Rob. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and it was doing it all as one piece. So yeah. it was able to speed up the manufacturing process dramatically instead of trying to thread things on or screw them on or, you know, glue it, gluing them and threading yeah. them. And it's just one solid object that you could one cast. Solid object. And... So you, yeah. yeah. And, and, and most tenodromers today won't remember the era where heads were flying off or the little oh, uh, were flying off the end. It happened to me in the circle many times. It happened yeah. to all of us. And mm-hmm. I, I got somebody you know, where you're gluing like a wood ball onto a plastic shaft or uh, anyways. Mm-hmm. The point is they always came loose eventually. And usually it was at the most inopportune time. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. That eliminated that. So that was the tie fry classic. Uh, and that, that, that was a very, very expensive. Uh, that was a $30,000 investment for me Ooh, wow yikes so that mm. and that is more than i put down on my first house for the record Oof. um <laughs> um so and then in 2004 the the, the platinum came out in mm-hmm. 2005 the practice concept came out so i was innovating trying to develop these products yeah uh, trying to get them lighter trying to alter the balance i, I saw a need for tender rooms to have their own like practice pad so they weren't wearing down the fur on the sticks there you on go. tables yeah. <laughs> um, and I think the 12, the Typhoon 2012, the Typhoon Ultimate came out. Mm-hmm. And I've got an extension of that. Uh, oh, sorry. And then this 2013 or 14, the My Typhoon thing where you can customize the head, shaft, and string. That's still go. the Typhoon Ultimate. But then I've got a whole new thing that I, I, I can't talk about until all the patents are filed. But I've got an, an even cooler extension of that uh, in the near future as well. And, I, and I'm really 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 excited about this one because this has been about 15 years in the making for me you'll have to keep us posted on that one then hey there you go that's exciting yeah yeah. Yeah. it'll be exciting for me and for everyone so yeah absolutely very very excited looking forward to that so yeah I i think there's never been a better time honestly for anyone listening right now that wants to take up tenor drumming there hasn't been a better time tyler you know at the beginning I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. I wanted to join a band to learn how to play snare drum, but I was, ah, you'll play tenor for a couple of years. You know, it's it's always seen as the stopgap instrument before you graduate into what you wanted to do, you know? But now everyone seems to be specializing in tenor drumming, which is brilliant. (laughs) I think it's brilliant as well. And I I, I will make a comment though. You know, I, I think that snare drummers should be learning tenor drumming and tenor drummers should be learning snare drumming absolutely be learning. I, I think that we should all i'm not trying to say you have a phd in all three no but what i'm trying to say <laughs> is you're all drummers um yeah. so i don't want anyone to especially when you're throwing these six or remember that if you're going to do that technical element it better mm. not interfere with that note uh being played exactly the way jim kilpatrick yeah. wants it to in terms of dynamics expression phrasing blah blah all blah. of that exactly yeah. Um, so you better remember your drummer first. And so I, I think in the future, I think we're, we're going to end up seeing drumming judges that are going to be, um, I don't think we'll just see a snare drummer judging, um, judging according more. I think it mm. could be possible one day you have a tenor drummer judging the whole drum core or a snare drummer judging. And who, heck, I, I would love to have John Dunn, bass drummer for slot judging, you know, my snare, you know, my there snare line. One day. Yeah. I know John, John's been sitting in the middle of that circle for so long. We'll have a great year. So where I'm going yeah. with that is, I don't know whether it means having more drumming judges or uh, in at championships or, you know, uh, uh, one single drumming judge who just may happen to be a bass tenor or snare at a, at a local mm. smaller contest or minor, as we call them. Um, yeah. I, I would have no problem with that personally. I think, especially now that the education level's there, um, I, I can see that being the next step. So yeah, there's no better time to be a tenor drummer. And Absolutely. I think that's probably where things are going to end up going one way or another, where it, you, as a drummer, you're, you're kind of equal with all drummers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to make sure though, that, you know, like I had to, or in, if you're a tenor drummer, you have a snare drum, you have some snare drumming background. If yeah. you're a bass drummer, you have some snare drumming and maybe some tenor. I just think we should all try to be drummers. Is all Absolutely. Yeah. Learn about every part of the core, not just sure. your own section. Exactly. Jump outside pipe bands too, because there's lots that yeah. you can, bring back in from there as well okay and absolutely 
Yeah, well, a, a prime example of that is a mate of mine, Johnny Rowe. He's a rock drummer. Prime example, rock star, rock star. And, yeah, and he he brings into pipe bands what you know what he aspects of what he does outside of pipe bands. You know, absolutely. Um, Listen to yeah. Brazilian piper down in um, in Montevideo, Uruguay, a few weeks ago. These guys are playing, you know, jumping into samba. They're jumping into not just like all these other Afro Afro Cuban rhythms. Yeah, tenor drums like. Um, like cert, uh, I think they're called certos or like the bass drums in a Brazilian market. Oh band. yes, yeah. And one one tenor beater, but they're muffling the sound. Anyways, my point is, there's oh, lots, lots, lots of th- ways we can integrate all these other influences into pipe bands as well. And I oh. think that's it as well. I'm but, all for it. I'm all for it. Absolutely. So right, you did tell me at the beginning of the interview before I switched the mic on that there is no limits to the questions that I can ask you here. So there is one question that I wanted to ask you. Now you can be as controversial as you like, but I'm just going to stand back and just watch the the hair go flying. I guess. Um, I'm nervous, but go. Okay. All right. I'm going to ask about judging. Now it has been suggested that we have two piping judges. We have one ensemble and we have one drumming judge. Now you did mention it there about you know tenor drumming evolving and this new education system in there this tenor solos now is happening do you think now is possibly a chance to introduce a bass section judge or a midsection judge sure i i I have no problem with the the principle of what you're saying okay Mm. so i don't mind whether we have a separate bass and tenor judge because i know now that there's enough going on there technically yeah technically Let's just look at that as a technical component, okay? Yeah. Just to make it very simple uh, and rhythmically and 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 clearly sonically in terms of tuning. Mm-hmm. Um, so visually, rhythmically, sonically, it's it's I, I I would love to assume that every drumming judge or ensemble judge is a superstar that can capture capture all of that and how mm-hmm. it contributes to either the respective core or the ensemble. Um, but I don't. I don't think it's humanly possible to, to keep, you know, I I'm writing half the time anyways, if I'm ever judging. Like, like from school of tenor <laughs> yeah. Room, when I, do you get a chance to look up? up? Exactly. I, it's hard. Yeah. So, so here, here's where I'm going with this. Yeah. The, the time's right, but mm. I don't think it's the way it's possibly the way it should go. I think if we just looked at it as drumming, there you go. Yes. One drumming judge. Mm-hmm. Now, do they judge the snare drumming as part of a collective core? Sure. Mm-hmm. Bass and tenor drum drumming. Sorry, bass and tenor drumming judge that judges the bass and tenor as part of a collective core. Or yeah. you know what's easiest? You might have a snare drummer judging a collective core and a bass and tenor drummer judging a collective core. There you are. And two drumming judges. Yeah. You have two drumming judges, and I'm not asking for more than or existing twenty five percent. Uh, we'll leave that up to others in the future but i think it's time and i think drum corps have gotten to the size now where we could easily justify it yeah uh, yeah maybe not we're obviously we're going to hear from societies or associations it's all about money and all that that's it too uh, judges cost money so yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we've been talking about it on rap show now for a while like we the size of pipe core and i you know we're seeing easily 18, 19 pipers in some cases. The pipe cores are getting bigger. You need two judges to handle that, two sides of the band, and you've got one drumming judge. I would argue we just need more judges in general. I'm not saying that at yeah. every minor event or, you know, I'm, but, no, but certainly for a major, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why we? What's, what's the harm in having more more opinions, more score sheets, more there education? We, I don't see, other than money, which, and, you know, I, hmm. be, you know, the entrepreneurial mind in me says, well, it's only money, and you just find a way. Yeah, that's, that's it. You <laughs> can, you can find that, a way. I get it. But, you know, there's a lot of people, we should be surrounding ourselves with those people that say, don't worry about it. I, I know how to raise it. We can do this. You know, just yeah. a yes mentality. <laughs> it would, that's it. Go a long way. <laughs> and, yeah, Absolutely. I'm more than so, yeah. yeah. So this is me being controversial here now, and I'm I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. Uh, I do okay. think this this is where our associations are a little bit reluctant to change and try new things. We haven't seen any kind of big changes with regards to judging. Uh, with that regard, you know, introducing another ensemble judge, another drumming judge, or heck, why not three piping judges? You know, there haven't been any adjustments there. So I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I I would like to see something. <laughs> So would I, and you know, and, you know, maybe one day when this medley format truly changes, you know, if and when, 
maybe that's the time where it turns into more of what we see in Brittany, you know, with the whole. Yeah, a great example. Yeah. I've done it once with Big Ed Capcabella, and I think I was staring at at least 20 judges, 15, 20. Yeah, easily. There's rows of them. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and I'd I'd love to see bass and tenor drummers on ensemble panels, Um, you know. Hmm. But again, these are, I I don't think they're far-fetched ideas, just waiting on them. No, that's it. And if anything, we are, we're just talking here, folks. We're not saying that these are the changes oh. that should happen and all of no. that, you know, we're just chatting, you know, yep. as fans of the game. Are for. You're, you know, Absolutely. But, but you see, yeah, food for thought. Indeed. So, Tyler, at this point, I have to say, uh, this episode is going out uh, right before Christmas. So I have to say a very happy Christmas to you and yours. Yeah. Merry Christmas uh, to, to, you as, uh, to you and everyone as well, or happy holidays. Um no, yeah, wow, we're already there. How did where did the year go? I know it's been mental, and that, that, that's one of the things I wanted to close with. Really, is how have you found this return of the music? You know, we were chatting to you throughout the pandemic, and we spoke about how much we missed it, uh, but now it's back on the grass again. And what was your feelings to have it back again? I, I was so excited to be on Glasgow Green again. I was even playing. I was hanging out at the British Drum Company tent, mm. but just being able to catch up with everyone. I, it, honestly, it felt like a decade since I'd seen so many people. And I know you and I got to hang out, Rob, probably longer than we've ever been able to hang out. That's true. Um, it was fun, yeah. I'm so excited that this whole thing's coming back together. Um, I'm a little bit disheartened that councils may may not be seeing the same value in it, um, particularly yeah. in Scotland right now, with mm. the loss of you know. Um, so kudos to the RSPB for fighting to try to bring, you oh, know. absolutely. Get more councils on board. Um, but yeah. I'm worried that, you know, we're, I, I just, I'm just, you know, fingers crossed, we can all have the opportunity to keep coming together throughout the year and not just, uh, you know, yeah. a few times. Uh, uh, absolutely. It would be a shame if we lose any more contests. It is worrying, yeah. But I do know that the good folks at headquarters are fighting for us and we do hope to have more news on those in the near future. Uh, so, yeah, keep fighting the good fight up there in headquarters, folks. <laughs> and we'll keep talking about yep. it. <laughs> So Tyler, I have to say a huge thank you for joining us on the podcast this week. A very happy holidays to you and yours. And are you traveling home for the holidays or are you still out Uh, and around? Yeah, I'm going to head back to Canada for a few days. Um, It's pretty freaking, if I'm finding San Francisco cold right now, Mm. I think it's 14 degrees Celsius. You can only imagine going back to Kincardine, seven feet of snow, minus minus (laughs) seven, maybe minus 10 Celsius. Yeah, oh, uh, mate, that's, that's no joke. Love, yeah, I love Canada, but in the winter, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, not fun, not fun. No, no, it's there you go. So, <laughs> Tyler, if anyone's looking to get a hold of you or that on social media or that, or any questions to ask yourself, uh, have you got any points of contact in that for people to reach you? Or the easiest way is you can use the form on www.tyfry.com or feel free to email me anytime at sales at tyfry.com. There you go. Excellent stuff. Well, no doubt we'll catch up with you at this incoming season in 2023. I can't wait to catch you on the grass again, indeed. Tyler, thank you so much for chatting with us this week. And a happy holidays. Happy holidays to everyone. All right, bye. 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 Ah, fantastic stuff there. Thank you so much to Tyler Fry for taking time to chat with us here on the podcast. And yeah, he was recording that from uh, his hotel room. He was actually out and about traveling still at this point. Uh, So yeah, just awesome to hear from him and his thoughts on tenor drumming. And I probably am showing my age uh, by being able to remember all of those bands and all the names and stuff that me and Tyler were talking about there. So, yeah. And no doubt I have a, a, a good authority. I've, I've Probably a lot of listeners right now are away to try and get the sheet music for Highland Wedding and try and figure out exactly what bar number and stuff we were talking about. I'll admit it. Myself, I was able to hum the first two or three parts, but I couldn't remember what the sixth part was. So I had to go and listen to it again. And Very interesting conversation. There you are. <laughs> so shout out to tyler i wish him and all of his a very happy christmas and to all of you guys listening right now uh, this is now the 21st of december and we're rolling straight into the holidays this weekend so i hope that you're not getting too overwhelmed with all of the christmas shopping and everything 
If you are, then possibly listen to last week's episode. Their 12 products of Christmas may well give you a bit of a steer if you are looking for some last-minute Christmas shopping ideas. Uh, But, yeah, we hoped that all of you out there have the best possible holiday season, whether you celebrate it or not, uh, just have the best possible time. With all your friends and family, eat, drink, be merry, have the best time, and we will be back here next week for another Big Rab Show podcast where we will have another big name from the piping scene that you might have heard before. He's kind of a mainstay around here around this time of year, and that's all I'm going to say. I'm going to give the game away. But yeah, next week's podcast is a doozy, and I can't wait to bring it to you. So there you are. That's going to be on the 28th, of course. There you are. Alrighty, well, that's it for another Big Rab Show podcast. Thank you all so much for downloading this week and each and every week. And don't forget to tell your mates about our wee show, about what we do here on the Big Rab Show. Blethering every single week about what we know and love to be the music of the great Highland Bagpipe and its people. Yeah, we want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. I hope you all have the best holiday season and we will see you all next week for even more bagpiping goodness. Until then, all the best. Well, that's it for another Big Rab Show podcast. Thanks so much for downloading this week. And a special thank you to our sponsor, G1 Reads. Played by bands around the world, they are the champion's choice. Played by two-time world champions in Vararian District. Don't forget to check out thebigrabshow.com to be kept up to date with all the latest news and views from the piping world. And also check us out on Patreon. For five bucks a month, you can get your hands on tons of extra piping goodness and be part of the Patreon faithful. So until next week, guys, we'll see you right here on the Big Rab Show podcast. All the best. <laughs>